You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. Hey, it's Brian. And this week, I'm in the Hickory Nut Village. This village is named for Hickory Nut Lake, which is also the largest body of water here in Horizon West. This village is home to the neighborhoods of Waterlay, with its mountainous entrance, and Hawksmoor with its Frank Lloyd Wright-looking clubhouse. It's also home to Water Spring Elementary School. Over the last few weeks, we have journeyed together digitally through all six villages of Horizon West. My desire with this tour was to introduce you to the local area that we're called to serve. For those who live in Horizon West, I hope that you love where you live just a little bit more. And for those who are not local, I hope you can look with fresh eyes at the things that make your community unique. Together, may we see Jesus at work around us, shaping our lives and the stories of the places where we live, work, and play. And speaking of stories, I'm in the neighborhood of Story Grove today. And if there was an award for best theming, Story Grove would win hands down. Let me show you around a little bit. Their streets are creatively named. They have little free libraries and they have a story tree with lights. If you haven't explored here before, this is one story you should check out. Sorry, I'll put that joke back on the shelf. No. Story Grove is a community that's built around story. Streets like Illusion Street and Suspense Street and Love Story Street and Memoir Avenue invite us into the various genres. And it reminds me that our lives are the culmination of the stories that have shaped us. As followers of Jesus, we are a community of people whose lives have been and will be dramatically shaped by the story of Jesus. The scriptures tell us the story of God who came in the person of Jesus Christ and moved into the neighborhood. Just like these little free libraries, the story of God has taken up residence in our local communities. I bet you've experienced this. A friend or a family member approaches you and says, I have just read the most amazing book ever. It's life-changing. It's mind-opening. You have to read it. When you find a good book, there's this compulsion to share it with others. Today, we're talking about an essential part of living out our faith in Jesus. It's sharing the story that's amazing, life-changing, mind-opening with others. It's easy to share a good book, right? It's a little more intimidating to share the story of Jesus with others. The good news is that we have made it harder than it needs to be. Instead, one of the greatest ways that we can share our faith is to begin by listening to and valuing the stories of others. After all, Jesus loved to begin by asking the question, what do you need? My hope is that the story of Horizon West, as we are just beginning these early chapters, becomes a story that reflects the reality that when God came into the world through Jesus, the world begins to look a lot more like heaven. Well, uh, I want to welcome you again if you're joining with us this morning. My name is Brian. I serve as the pastor of Citrus. And I also want to make sure to thank the team at uh, Horizon West Magazine for all that they've done to share their maps that they have painstakingly put together um, with us and give us permission to use those. So if you are not familiar or you want to learn more about this area, the best place to start is Horizon West Magazine. 
com, and there you'll be able to find locations where you can pick up a physical copy and just a great way to learn more about this community and some of the places that make it so unique. Uh, in this series, what we've been doing is not just looking around our neighborhood, but looking at the ways that we can find God in Horizon West. And with that, we're talking about what it means to be a part of the church and what it means to say that not only are we committed to Jesus, but we've also committed our lives to being a part of God's church. To do that, over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the different aspects of what it means with our prayers, being present, using our gifts, serving outside the walls. And this week, we're going to talk about witness. But before we get into that, I want to know if you've ever had this experience, and I've certainly had it happen to me on occasion. And I want to know if you've ever accidentally told someone else's story. You're at a party, you're at a gathering together, and there's people who are gathered around. Now, this was like, remember, back in the day when we could do those kind of things. So keep that in mind. And you jump in and you're... Excuse me, you're telling a story and, and you're, you're really into it and you're sharing the details and you're kind of reliving the reality of what it was like to be there, present in that moment. And all of a sudden, someone else jumps in and says, that, that didn't happen to you. That, that happened to me. Remember, I told you. I don't know if that's ever happened to anybody else where you, maybe someone told you such a good story and, and you internalize it as your own. And you have kind of that awkward moment where you realize they're right. That was their story. <laughs> That's not my story. Well, today what we're going to be doing is talking about the story of Jesus and how we share that story authentically with others. We live in a world that is uh, skeptical of religion and kind of looks sideways about religious experiences and spiritual awakenings. And so in a world like this, the stories that you and I tell about our faith are really important. Even more important are that these stories that we have come from our own experience. And maybe someone else has a better story or can tell a better story. But there's nothing quite like sharing your own experience to help someone else see, maybe with fresh eyes for the first time, who God is and who Jesus is and can be for them. In the first church I served, we had a retired pastor who was part of the church, and, and he was a legend. And some of you will know Gene Zimmerman. When I first started there, he came over to me after a service one time, and, and he shared a quote with me, and he said this, A preacher is not a reporter, but a witness. And what I hoped in that moment he was doing was affirming that what I was sharing that morning was more of a witness than a reporter. And I think he, he meant it in a good way, but that quote has always stuck with me. And I'd want to change it just a little bit this morning to say this, A Christian is not a reporter, but a witness. Let me break that down a little bit for you, because as I understand the difference, a reporter is someone who would gather together, gather together the shared knowledge or the experience of someone else, and they would present that, not as their own, but as someone who's reporting what they have seen and heard from others. The difference with the witness is this is someone who is sharing from their personal knowledge and their personal experience. Now, of course, both of these things are important and necessary, and there is, there's a place for reporting and a place for giving witness. But what we're talking about here is the source. Reporters are sharing a secondary source. They're sharing what they've heard from someone else, and that's good. But a witness is someone who is sharing as a primary source. I have seen, I have heard, I have felt, 
I have tasted, I have touched, and, and they are giving their actual experience. And I think for many of us, reporting things like the news or the current events are helpful. But when someone gives witness, we pay closer attention because we know that this is firsthand. And when I think about what it means to be a Christian, we share the story of Jesus and we can share the stories of others and we can share the experiences of of Paul and the heroes of the faith. But I think what people really want to hear is what difference has it made for you? What difference has it made in your life? I think of the the book of Acts and there's this passage in 1.8 and this is Jesus addressing the believers, the disciples. This is just pretty much immediately following his resurrection from the dead shortly thereafter. And he's gathered them together in Jerusalem and Jesus says these words to them. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, what I love about this is, and I've stressed this here with the, the italicies below or the, the yellow part below, this idea that you will receive power. So Jesus is offering them a personal experience. And he's saying, the Spirit will come upon you, just in case you didn't get it the first time. And their call was to be witnesses. Not just to report the facts that they had heard from somebody else. Not just to report the second or third hand knowledge that they had, but they would receive power and they would be the ones to share with others, to to give a witness. I want to talk about that word a little bit more, this idea of what it means to be a witness. Because what we're doing is we're sharing what we have personally seen, heard, and experienced. Now, as a witness, the first one that comes to mind is a witness in a court case. This is someone who the court and the jury and others listen to as having firsthand experience. Now, the other witness is someone who signs a marriage license, right? You always have to have two witnesses, at least here in Florida, I'm sure it's different in other places, to give witness to the reality that this event actually happened and these two people actually came together. And so we have these witnesses there. In Scripture, the word means that, but it's a little bit more than that. The best way to define it is one who testifies for another. One who testifies for another. And in the Greek that the Bible was, was written in and translated into, it, the idea here was the word martis. Now, you might be able to figure out kind of where that word goes. It's the word martyr. So if we were reading this passage in the original uh, Greek there, um, of course, Jesus wouldn't have spoken it in Greek. It would have been Aramaic. But the word that comes out here is the word martyr. And you might be thinking, <laughs> pump those brakes. Because I understand what a martyr is. And if you're calling me to be a witness, and these are the same kinds of things. Example in this passage here below 1.8, Jesus says, you will be my martyr in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. You might be thinking like, hold up. I don't know if I'm ready to quite sign up for that level of commitment yet. When this word began, it didn't begin with the exact same way that you and I might hear it today. Yes, it began as a martyr, but a martyr was always someone who gave testimony of their experience with someone else. Now, under uh, Emperor Nero and and, uh, the Greek Empire, when Christians began to share their martyrs, their testimony of Jesus, 
what would happen is that they were oftentimes put to death because the revelation of Jesus was so challenging to the empire. And it disrupted so much the plans that the emperor and that those had made of the day. That these Christians were such a challenge to the empire that they put them to death. And and I'm sure you know those stories. So over time, the word martyr, which meant witness, began to also be closely associated with if you give a witness in Rome, then you're put to death. Many understand Jesus' life and his own witness as a sort of martyrdom, that he testified of the one who sent him, of God. And because of that, he found himself upon a cross. And it kind of gets you thinking, how deeply must someone believe the words that they are speaking about their experience with Jesus to be willing to risk their very life for it? I mean, that's significant. I mean, I'll give, I'll give witness in a marriage. Uh, I'll give witness if I need to on a stand. But at some point, there's a reality. Of, if I, am I willing to, to share my experience of this person to the point that it might lead to my own death? Well, thankfully, most times today, it doesn't go nearly that far. So I want to talk about where this word came from and where it's going and what it can mean for us. I want to circle us back to our vows as United Methodists and when we commit to being a part of a church, and in the Methodist church, which we are, we have this saying that we commit to be faithful participants in its ministries by our prayers, their presence, their gifts, their service, and their witness. And for this, what we're talking about this morning is what exactly are we committing to? Because you might want to know how we define that word witness before you're willing to kind of sign off on that line. Am I right? So I want to talk this morning from the book of Romans, uh, in particular about someone who we're willing to live for. Uh, because I believe most often in life, it's not necessarily a call to, to surrender our life. It's probably more metaphorical than literal. But we're called to live our life for Jesus. And in Romans 5, verses 6 through 11, uh, it won't be on the screen, so I'll just share that one with you here. Paul writes that while we're still weak, at the right moment, Christ died for ungodly people. It isn't often that someone will die for a righteous person, but though maybe someone might dare to die for a good person. But God shows his love for us because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So now that we have been made righteous by his blood, we can be even more certain that we will be saved from God's wrath through him. If we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, while we were still enemies, Now that we have been reconciled, how much more certain is it that we will be saved through his life? And not only that, we can even take pride in God through through our Lord Jesus Christ, the one through whom we now have a restored relationship with God. So that's what this is all about right here, is this idea that in Christ we have a restored relationship, a reconciled relationship with God. Now, I'll briefly take you back to the beginning of things when um, God created all things as good and created humanity in God's image. And in doing so, there came a point where humanity chose to go their own route. And of course, we would call this original sin. The idea that when given the choice, we as humans, more often than not, choose to, to wander away, to turn away, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, but this idea of original sin where we separate ourselves from the presence of God. 
Now, in the same time, God is already coming back after us to bring us back. And we call this, it's a, it's a big word, it's one of my favorite ones, uh, prevenient grace. Quite simply, the grace that goes before us before we have any inclination to come back to God. And so in the beginning, we have this experience of both original sin and God's grace, which is drawing us back and inviting us back home, to put it simply. And when we receive that invitation and when we, through Jesus, offer our life and when we commit our life to follow Jesus, we're saved and we're reconciled in relationship back to God. Certainly doesn't mean we get it right from that day forward. Certainly doesn't mean we don't mess up from time to time. But it means that we are on a journey drawing ourselves closer and closer and back to God. I want to take us back to the verse just before this, Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, where Paul says, But not only that, we even take pride in our problems, because we know that trouble produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces, get this, hope. The hope does not put us to shame, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Now, what I'm seeing here is that as we think about how do we share our story, what do we say, what do we tell people, where do we begin? I think Paul gives us a blueprint, an idea, a place to do that. We can share how we have found a way to endure through trouble. And we know a little bit something about trouble right now. And many of you have found ways to endure through trouble. It's not easy. But we also know that something else happens through trouble, that when we find ways to endure, our character is often built. I don't think any of us signed up for this character building experience that we've experienced over the last year. I don't think any of us want this. But I would say very certainly that our character has been built up through some of the highs, but mostly through the lows and the struggles and the pain that we've experienced this year. That same endurance producing character and character persevering over trouble produces in us a sense of hope. Because it reminds us that we don't have the energy to do this ourselves. We don't have the strength, the know-how, the wisdom. I mean, we've pivoted more times than we've seen, right? What we're seeing within us is that it is God who is producing the hope. And that to the extent where we can fix our eyes on Jesus, we can find hope. And hope, as the scripture says, does not disappoint So in Jesus, we have found a savior, a friend, a companion, and so much more. And I just invite you from wherever you're at this morning, just to reflect, who has Jesus been for you? And maybe in particular in this pandemic, who has Jesus been for you? Or perhaps, who do you need Jesus to be now? So the truth is, is we do have something to share. We do have some good news, even in this time. And and, and our method of sharing our witness. And uh, the reason why Methodists were called Methodists was because they had a method for everything. And so I think a good method for anything is, is well-deserved. For us as a church, we've always phrased it this way, that Citrus Church exists to offer a refreshing invitation to Jesus. Now, we might have experienced an invitation to Jesus, but I believe that what God invites us to share is a refreshing one, one that in the same way when you peel an orange uh, you get that kind of citrus smell that sprays out. And at least for me, that's, that's a refreshing smell. Think about walking through maybe an orange grove if you've done that here in this area. The idea of just how, how citrus in itself 
if you didn't know this, most of this area was citrus groves just a few years ago. The idea that we're called to offer a refreshing invitation. And for example, we believe that that means that we're not going to try to cram truth down someone's throat or, or use the Bible as a weapon or as a tool that, that, that essentially beats up others. We don't think that's the best way. That we're not going to hit people over the head with religious cliches that rhyme but <laughs> kind of fall flat. We're not going to shout at people from a street corner with a bullhorn. What we will do, though, is, is share the good news of Jesus Christ in a way that is loving and grace-filled. I want to tell you a little bit more about what I think that looks like. And so this can actually become a plan for us of how we share our faith. So I want to think about, I want to invite you to think about how can these kind of points help you to share your faith in a way that is authentic so you don't feel like you're telling someone else's story and in a way that actually invites others into God's good news with love and grace. And I think quite honestly, we just begin with friendship. Uh, we begin with an honest, non-manipulative, non-manipulative, that, that's, that word's not coming out this morning, non-manipulative, life-giving friendships. Uh, I mean, the question for us is, are we trying to meet people and befriend them just so that we can tell them about what God's done for them? Or do we actually desire a genuine friendship? Because the Bible tells us that love is genuine, right? And depending on their response to God or not, we ought to still be in friendships with them. So the best place to begin is simply with an honest and a genuine friendship. And so I want to invite you to think about the question, how many friendships do you have with people who do not yet know Christ? And that might just be a good place to begin. The second thing we can do is begin to tell them everything we know about the Bible and make sure that we just like really lay, lay it on thick. No, I think the best place to begin next is to just listen and then listen and then listen some more. My experience has taught me is that if I can just listen to people, people will share kind of everything that I might need to hear if I will just listen well. And this is the idea here that Jesus, as he did with Andrew, most often began by listening to people and asking good questions. With Andrew, he says, what are you looking for? And he lets Andrew essentially drive the conversation. And what listening does is it removes the assumptions that we make, the ways that we think we might be able to fix someone else. And it puts us into a relationship where we are equals with someone else. The next important thing is for us to know our story. And this is the idea that a witness doesn't argue the case. If you think about the courtroom dramas that you might watch, the witness doesn't argue the case. Right? That's the, the prosecutor or the defense attorney. The witness just shares what they heard, what they saw, and what they've experienced. So my question is, is can you tell the story of your relationship with Jesus in a way that's simple, concise, and clear? And if, you're not, if you don't feel like you can... Maybe a good start would be, could you tweet it? What would your story of your experience with Jesus look like in 140 characters? That's a hard task, but that's a good place to begin. There does come a point at some point where we would offer the invitation, the refreshing invitation, as we say. The invitation, as Jesus said, to simply come and see. Uh, language of today says to try it on and to see how it fits. That can take whatever form is appropriate. It might be a direct invitation for someone to pause with you and to pray and to uh, welcome Jesus into their own life. It might be that person taking time to go and to think about it and to come back more, to build a relationship over time. 
That invitation can also simply be saying to someone, I'd like to invite you to church, whether online or in person. I'd like you to join with me in a small group, which is why I'm thankful we can do those online and in person in this season. I'd like to invite you to join with me in this ministry or this mission or this project. I just want to invite you to come and see. That was the invitation that Jesus gave most often. That begins a journey towards a Christ-filled life. And the final piece is simply to trust the Spirit. Hey, the good news is, is that you're not Jesus and neither am I, that I don't save anyone and neither can you. In a sense, as I said earlier, we have made this really hard, but all we're called to do is to share our experience with God, whether that's been one year, 20 years, 60 years. Just share the ways that you've seen Jesus build character and produce hope and take you through hard times and and fill you with a sense of encouragement. As we begin to kind of wrap up the sermon, I want to go ahead and think ahead to the next part. I want to invite you to uh, share any prayer requests that you have in the comments. And I'm saying it now because of the, the lag on internet. I want to be able to lift up any prayer requests that you might have. So if you have a prayer request for today, if we can pray for you, would you go ahead and share that below? Like the neighborhood of Story Grove teaches us, every one of us has a story to tell. It's a story of the amazing things that God has done, is doing, and will continue to do in your life and in mine. And so in a world that looks at the church and at Christians kind of with like side eyes, like, I don't know how that's going to go, we can change the story by simply sharing with others our experience with Jesus. We can offer a refreshing invitation when we listen well and when we share the hope that we have found. One simple way is to simply begin by prayer. And a prayer that I uh, pray often and try to use often is, Lord, will you simply put someone in my path today who needs to hear some good news? And again, my goal is, is to listen and to be a friend and to those kinds of things. But Lord, will you simply put someone in my path today with whom I can share some good news and some hope and some encouragement? Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.